Hello, everyone. Welcome to my Forex Master and Friends podcast. Listeners, today we have a very special guest, and it took a little bit of effort to get this done, but we are bringing it to you. So my guest today has 13 years of experience on the commodities floor at the New York World Trade Center, recently published a book, Plant Your Money Tree, A Guide to Growing Your Wealth, that earned best new release on Amazon, as well as recently named one of the best wealth books of all time by Book Authority. In 2018, she won the best stock pick of 2018 by Real Vision, and is also in contention already for 2019, so kudos. And now serving as the Director of Trading Education at MarketGage.com, a special ed teacher and performer who also mastered trading. The very well accomplished Miss Snyder. How are you, friend? Oh, worry that I'm going to live up to all those great uh, things you just said about me. <laughs> well, that's the beauty of it all. You already have lived up to it. So anything that we get today is just uh, icing on the cake. We're really happy to have you. Thank you. So nice to be here. Nice. So what's going on in your life right now? What's, what's cool in, in general life and in trading? Well, you know, right now the world is at a very interesting place, uh, given the fact that we now have an official pandemic uh, that the right. World Health Organization finally decided to recognize yesterday. You know, in the United States, we have some geopolitical turmoil, although I don't think that's going to amount to very much in terms of the impeachment. I'm sure there will be an acquittal. But, you know, then we're going to go on to be looking at the next presidential election. Um, you know, we still have a lot of things percolating geopolitically, even in the Middle East. Uh, so there's, it, it's a very, very interesting time. And what it really does is um, support my whole notion of what something I'd like to share with, with your audience today, which is this old school passive investing, buy and hold, because the market always come back philosophy as being extremely dangerous. Oh, okay. Wow. Please touch upon that more because I'm sure that's something that a lot of our listeners would like to know more about. I'd pleasure to. In terms of personal stuff, I, you know, we talked about this a little bit, you and I. I live in probably one of the most beautiful areas in the United States, Santa Fe, New Mexico. Yes. And, uh, yes, and we're actually having a little bit of a population explosion because weather-wise, we're very steady. We're not near the water. Um, and so people have been coming here because it's also 7,000 uh, feet above sea level, which is high desert. So we don't get that like, you know, horrid heat waves like you get, let's say, in Phoenix in the summer. It's, it's a very nice temperature all year round. Yes. Not that I'm encouraging everybody to move here because we're getting a little crowded. But nonetheless, I thought I'd mention that. Great place to visit. <clears throat> Excuse me. Absolutely. And um and and how and I, I wanted you to touch more upon um, the notion of of the buy and hold being being dangerous because I think that's a you know that's something that a lot of new investors maybe think is you know the tried and true way so so if you could touch more upon that and and just to link it back to our personal relationship uh, when I first came across you at the Traders Expo in Las Vegas um, one of the classes that you were that you were teaching actually address that so that class was titled everything that you think about the markets could be wrong so it seems like you have some really good insight in that vertical so yeah if you could please touch upon that more for all of us it would, we'd really appreciate it 
first of all, Hilton, I, you know what? I don't think I knew that that's how we met. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> did, we, <laughs> did we talk at the thing or are you just, yeah? Did we talk? Or well, you just... no. So, so it was a little bit different for me. So I was actually, uh, yeah, this, this is a bit of a riddle. So somehow, so somehow we came into contact, but I was 7,000 miles away. Fill in the blank. So I was actually watching you on the live cast because I was in the Philippines at the time. But what you were saying was, you know, it, it really made a, a positive impact on, on the way that I navigate and look at markets. So once I got a chance to get you on here and spread your knowledge to some of my audience who I know would be so impacted positively the same way I was, you know, I jumped at the opportunity to chat with you. Ah, okay, great. Mm -hmm. Well, all right. So go back. So yes. So I, you know, I know what I did was a little bit different than what most of the other speakers did because I wasn't necessarily trying to tell you about the next great tool or, um, you know, a, a specific strategy. I did that later on when I did my actual, uh, masterclass that I taught there. But for this, this is something that I have been preaching for a while. <clears throat> And this is extremely important for the younger generation to know, because um, I've been around long enough to have seen things that a lot of people who have been trading only for the last 20 years have not seen. And that is what I call crisis inflation. Um, because, and so that was part of what I discussed was watching commodities as the relationship between commodities and equities were literally at a hundred year low and they still kind of are. So what that does is two things is one is I would tell people uh, and have told people and continue to tell people to uh, look at gold and silver and gold miners, which of course have gone up a lot to mm -hmm. watch for the potential of the dollar to top out, which I believe it has to watch, mm. you know, the federal reserve and the central banks policy of going to uh, already negative rates throughout a lot of Europe and seemingly with the pressure on Powell to lower rates here, going in that same direction. Um, all of these uh, things are, are inflationary, but they don't stem from the standard metrics that you hear. So the Federal Reserve, for example, they had their uh, minutes this week. And what do they say? We're not at the 2% target rate of inflation. But that's just a metric that is cooked by whatever economists um, are getting paid to cook by whatever firm they're working for. It's not reality, right? I mean, we all know we go to the market uh, to buy food or oil would be about the only thing that hasn't gone up in price. But that's not necessarily an inflationary indicator to me. What is is how much you pay for food and all of the things that we buy right now, clothes, Everything has gone up in price. That's inflationary. So getting back um, to what I was real, my bigger point is, is that we are needing to prepare for that because the inflation I've been saying will come from some level of crisis. And we're already seeing that happen. Climate change, a crisis that's already happened that continue to really wreak havoc on raw materials. This unfortunate pandemic I just read today that locusts are out of control um, in, I think it was Africa. I don't remember exactly where I read, um, but a, a food growing region. So all of this points to the fact that not only can commodities come up and inflation go out of control, 
but that we could be heading into a, <clears throat> excuse me, stagflation, which means ec economic growth stagnates. It doesn't necessarily have to go into recession, but it stagnates while the costs of, of goods goes up. That's stagflation. The hardest monetary policy for the feds to be able to enact, because what do you do? You raise the rates to control the inflation. You put the, the gabash on any potential economic growth uh, in terms of companies and the economy. I'm taking a pause. Wow. So, that you know, so Right. So I can... I don't like to go on too long because I, I, I think, uh, you know, I, there's, I have so much to say, but I like to take a pause and see if you have any feedback before I go on. Yeah, I, I just want to just want to make sure that all my listeners who might be a little new understand exactly everything that's going on. So I think and correct me if I'm wrong, the the most obvious extreme, obviously more extreme um, example of, of stack running out of control is after those those war reparations got put on Germany, right, where the, the economic growth stagnates, but the cost of goods went sky high, where all of a sudden a loaf of bread would have, you would have had to have like half of the, the reserve bank's currencies to to get yourself a loaf of bread. So that that's like an extreme example, but this is what you're talking about, right? Well, that is an extreme example. So let's go up a little bit in time for when I got started in the business. So I got started in the business in the late 70s. Um, and, and, and so you're never too young to get involved in this. I mean, my husband, who also, who I met on the Commodities Exchange, he's been trading since he's 13 years old. So there's no such thing as being too young. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a really, it's, it's such a wonderful thing to, to be able to learn how to do even if you have a full-time job doing something else, um, you know, this is with smart devices and literally the market at your fingertips on, at your phone or your computer, it makes it easy. So I just wanted to mention that. So, you know, cause I know your audience is, is relatively yes. young and they shouldn't feel discouraged by that. And we could talk yes. about that more later, but let's go to 1979. So in 1974, you had, um, the, an oil crisis. And I remember as a young kid, there were, gas lines um for hours you would have to wait to get gas because all the oil mm -hmm. stopped flowing that was after the israeli war and then what happened was yes. it took a little bit of time but inflation started to creep in and then you had some other events at that particular time that were also influential there was a tremendous drought in some of the sugar growing areas and sugar went ballistic and sugar is this sort of like little secret weapon I, I, that since I traded sugar that I know about, that's kind of like an, in, an inflationary indicator that most people have no idea. By the way, if you look at the price of sugar now, it's been going up a little bit. It hasn't gone nuts, but it's been going up. Number two, gold and yes. silver started going out of control at that point. Now, to today's prices, it's laughable, but gold rallied up to $880 an ounce. I mean, considering it's now trading at $1,600, that's why I say it's mm -hmm. laughable. But at that time, you know, given the, the, the decade, it was really super expensive. So that's what You're happened. Right. And that's when the Federal Reserve came in and started hiking up interest rates to the point where they got up over 20%. I mean, we're down below 3% now. This was over 20%. So you can imagine how crazy it was. Now, let's talk about the buy and hold and the, and the stock market through this. From 1969 to about 1985, 
15, 16 years, the market stagnated, did nothing. So those people who had IRAs and 401s back then who were counting on that money for retirement or for inheritance to their kids and their grandkids, et cetera, it didn't grow at all. It didn't grow at all. Right. Yeah. So that, so that's really the classic example. And that's why I say that people who've only been in the business for about 20 years, they really have no idea what global chaos looks like. And it doesn't have to be war. I mean, that would be one factor, obviously, like what you mentioned after World War II. It could be anything. It could be climate change. It could be geopolitical. Um, any of that can be a, an influence to it. And it's a herd mentality because once it starts going, it starts feeding on itself because you create a panic. Not a great time for stocks. Okay, fascinating. So in the event that something like that would happen for, for those of us who haven't been trading for 20 years, what do you see as the best way for us to navigate through our portfolios or whatnot to protect ourselves? Well, you know, this might be a good time for me to talk a little bit about the book because I wrote the book okay. specifically for this. Um, so the book, Plant Your Money Tree, A Guide to Growing Your Wealth, was really meant to, uh, by the way, before, not, not only before, but during the last 40 years of my trading career, I started out as a special education teacher before I became a trader. And I've done a lot of consulting in special education throughout the years. So I had this mindset. How could I teach people about understanding cycles or trends without being intimidating like these highly technical books or these highly obtuse economic books and not being you know, really condescending like some of these personal finance books that tell you, live below your means, save your money, diversify your portfolio, and don't worry about it because the market always comes back. So that's what this mm -hmm. book does. So when you ask how can people tell, it's through these six phases. And these six phases are really important, very easy to understand. Um, that's what the book goes into. And when we are in any of these six phases, you get information. So right now, most of the market, when I say most of the market, I mean most of the sectors, the typical economic sectors, not all, and most of the indices, um, with the exception of being the small caps, have had tremendous gains and have been in bullish phases. And now in the last couple of days with the pandemic, we're starting to see the phases deteriorate into what I call a caution phase. Mm -hmm. So that is exactly what caution means. Yellow flag up. Maybe it's time to be looking at what you're holding in your portfolio and think about whether A, you want to cash out of some and take profits. B, you want to go to cash, which is not exactly the smartest thing to do right now since you get absolutely no money on your cash. Or C, by mm -hmm. other types of instruments, and this is what I've been trying to tell people, looking at some of these commodities where the risk to the upside is wonderful and the risk to the downside is really kind of limited. Mm. Okay. That's perfect. I mean, that's, that, that's the type of insight that, that someone who has your type of experience would, would know best. And, and for these six phases, these are phases that you outline in the book, yes? Yes. Perfect. And your book, uh, just from the, the last conversation that we had, 
And uh, just, just to give you, just to catch up all the rest of the audience, we tried to have this conversation about, a, it was about a week ago. And the, all of a sudden, right in the middle of it, I was in Cambodia, the power just went out and my flight was, was a few hours later. So this has been a, a little while in the making. And in the book, last time that we chatted, you mentioned that it has a very interesting and unique concept to it. So yeah, if you could touch more upon that, because I, I think it would be really fascinating for the, the audience to hear it. Well, um, basically, the concept of the book is twofold. One is it really supports a theory that I didn't make up. Peter Lynch, who was a big famous um, broker at Fidelity, he ran the Magellan Fund, hedge fund billionaire guy, said, buy what you know. So what I've done is I've expanded that. To, what does that mean? That means, you know, it could be a product, you know, like, um, something that you really uh, like, let's say, I'm, I'm, this is just at the top of my head, this is certainly not a recommendation, but Fitbit, let's say, or an Apple Watch kind of thing. Yes. Or a, a, a store that is growing that you think is um, something that's going to be really continuing. I, I can't think of anything right now off the top of my head, but like Chipotle was a great example. It kept growing and growing and growing, spreading across the United States. And after it had its big food poisoning concerns, the stock really went from 300 up to almost 900. Um, or it's a mega trend mm. like climate change. Or if you think cannabis, you know, is going to continue to to uh, get easier to legalize, um, you know, whatever it is, it, or it's something you've heard on TV or, you know, whatever. The classic example I like to use is Crocs. This uh, teenage kid put something up on YouTube about dyeing your Crocs or making them more, uh, just more decorative, and the stock rallied like crazy. So that's the first part of the book is how do you find your ideas? And yes. then the second part of the book is, though, you don't just trade off of ideas. You must have a navigation system, just like you wouldn't mm. get in your car. Nobody gets in their car anymore without their ways or their own car's navigation system. They plug it in and it tells them exactly where to go. That's what these six phases do is they give you a map or a compass or a navigation system. So let's say you like cannabis. You can look yes. to see what any of the particular companies are at or the actual ETF, the exchange traded fund, which is MJ, Mary Jane, appropriately named. And you could say, well, right now it's in a bearish phase. Is this the right time to buy it? No. When should I buy it? That's what the book will tell you. Wait for this particular phase, and this is how you identify it. So it's easy. It's that simple. I don't get bogged down with anything else. Just here's your idea, and here's how you assess the right timing or the right compass to use to decide whether or not it's good to get in. It's not an all-inclusive book in that, obviously, I didn't want to, like, get, go over people's heads, but it's a really good foundational start. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I mean, just, just the accolades that, that we listed off in the beginning, I'll, I'll say it one more time. It earned Best New Release on Amazon, as well as named one of the best wealth books of all time by Book Authority. So I think that, you know, speaks so highly of the book for itself. And, and I just love the way that you said it's broken down into two different sectors, how to find ideas, and you must have a navigation system for those ideas that you find. I mean, that's, I, I think especially for, for the, the, the type of audience that, that I, I believe that we have listening mainly, you know, these are, these are people who are 
definitely don't have as much experience as as you um and likely less than i have also you know to a handful of years and, and just to just to hear that from someone like you say a word you know simplicity can get you there you know you don't you don't need to go way over your head and you know make give yourself a headache to to take steps in the right direction you know you can you can start out with something like the tool that you've given in the form of the book and and really make fantastic strides towards whatever it is you're trying to achieve in the market. And the book, I mean, I, I, it's great that you keep repeating the accolades that the book got, but I'm really, it's not about me. It's really about the public, what I really want to accomplish. And with my second book, we'll take it even a step further okay. is to be a bridge between, you know, the proverbial wall street, main street kind of thing, because people are confused and people don't know what to believe who to believe. So this is, you know, like sitting in a car and somebody says, make a right. No, make a left. No, make a U-turn. You don't have to listen to all that noise. That's yes, the metaphor for I, all that. I completely understand that. Right. You can say, hey, I'm driving the car and my compass is telling me I got to go this way. And so it's the same thing is that I'm driving my own, own portfolio and my own money here. And ultimately it's your responsibility, but you have to have some kind of a method to look at. And, you know, in today's world, my God, you want to talk about noise. The noise is palpable, constant, mm. and, we and it comes fast and furious. And we have so many ways to access information. You got to really basically pay attention to some degree, of course, but you also have to be able to tune it out. Yes, I love that. I love that. Uh, something else that I, I want to I want to touch upon while we have you on here. I mean, you've been trading for a number of decades, and you were also a woman in trading. Now, a lot of a lot of my followers also are female traders. You know, this is something that we're seeing more and more with each passing month, year, whatever it may be, that more female participants are enter entering into markets across all different types of assets. So, if you could just walk us through as an audience. What was the difference between when you were coming up as a, as a trader in your early days to right now? Well, first of all, I'm so happy to hear more and more women are getting into it, and they should. We actually have some incredible uh, uh, natural abilities that make us very, very good traders. And when I say us, I mean women. That doesn't mean that I'm trying to exclude the men here. <laughs> but women have uh, certain things about them that I think we have tremendously good instinct, for example. So when I talk about consumer instinct, you know, we naturally know value uh, because of the fact that very often we are the ones that are budgeting uh, the family money and mm. deciding how much goes to food and how much goes to entertainment, how much goes to the kids. And the kids are always the priority. Two is, even though our reputation is emotional, we are actually much better at being dispassionate towards these sort of money decisions. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that that's good. We are also not terribly risk adverse naturally because we're not so much trading with our egos as much as, hey, you know, I don't want to lose this. I'm out of here. And that's a very important skill. Um, so all those things I had, but had no idea that they were going to be uh, a boon for me. But crossing genders, what I really had in my favor at the time was youth. And, mm -hmm. you know, the wonderful thing about being young is you have a sense of infallibility, which really helped me get started. So that's the first thing. So I, you know, yes, women 
We are, re in fact, statistically, women make better traders. And when women start getting on boards and become CEOs of companies, generally those companies do better. In the banking industry, when women are involved, they do better. In Iceland, which has a women leadership, has done better. They pulled themselves out of a really bad situation. So yay, women. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, listen up, lady traders. The, the data is in your favor. Exactly. Okay. So now me getting started, I went down there and there were very, 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 very few women. And I got down there, but by the way, it was like total fate. I had met, I, I was living in New in Queens, New York. I was married. I was teaching. I was about 15 minutes from my parents. I did all the things that I was told that I should do. And certainly I love teaching. I'm still teaching. So teaching was something that, you know, was always with me, but it wasn't necessarily my, my fate. So I moved into Manhattan. Um, I, I, I was a young married, so I separated from my husband. It was no vitriol. It was just, you know, Hey, I'm growing up here. And I went and met this woman who lived in my building on the uh, Upper West Side of Manhattan. Um, and she worked down on the floor for Merrill Lynch, but she was a clerk. Mm, oh, she, she, wow. was, she wasn't a trader. And she was some character. Man, she made quite an impression on me because um, I was still kind of like, you know, I was I was coming out of like my punk rock hippie days. And uh, she was like, you know, with the she looked like a Barbie doll to me. And she came to my door holding a cigarette holder. And I was like, wow, I was floored. So yeah. I followed I followed her down to the floor. And the thing is, is I was awestruck immediately. I knew this is where I had to be. Mm -hmm. So, um, so I, so I, I, it wasn't so easy, not because I was a woman, interestingly, because it was, I was a teacher. They used to say, oh, those who can't teach, you know, that old disgusting adage. So, yes. um, yeah. So, um, so anyway, I ignored all of that. This is, you know, where the youth part comes in and I wound up getting a job working for Conti Commodities as a sugar coffee cocoa analyst which was funny because i knew nothing i knew absolutely <laughs> nothing so to talk get back to the woman thing so i go down there and um you know obviously i created attention some negative some positive you know mm -hmm. so that that's just the world at large it's like a microcosm down there and so a lot of the men helped me out immediately by telling me, hey, well, this is what you should get on the squawk box and say to, your, to the people all around the world, you know, uh, Merrill Lynch is buying sugar. And if it hits this point, then it's going to go up. And if it breaks. So I started taking notes. And then I realized I couldn't get it. Then I got a seat, by the way. Conti gave me a seat to trade, nice. which was amaz amazing. Right. Now I was the only woman in the sugar, coffee, and cocoa exchange trade. Wow. And it didn't take me long to figure out that physically, I'm not a very large person, number one. And even though I'm a very athletic person and I was wily and I could sort of squeeze my way in and stand there, I still, when things got crazy, was at a disadvantage, not just because of my size, but because also my voice, because it was open outcry. I couldn't scream as loud. I'd whistle, schoolyard whistle a couple of times to get attention. But so what I learned to do was chart. And that's what the whole premise of this book is based on, is I had to compensate for what I, my disadvantage as a woman physically couldn't compete. My yes. advantage as a woman was that I was like, you know what, I'm not going to get pissed off about that or upset. I'm going to figure out what's the path to least resistance. Ah, try to understand what all these prices mean through a pattern. 
So I actually drew X's and O's on a graph paper. Wow. And then eventually I would, I would scotch tape the graph paper. And by the end of the week, I'd have like a whole long roll. I would unravel in my living room and I started to see patterns, congestion, flags, you know, trend lines, etc. And I became a charting expert. I became actually one of the best chartists on the floor. Guys who were multimillionaires and I was still starting out were coming to me and saying, hey, Mish, what do you see on the chart? Wow. Yeah. So that's really, you know, so I guess the big takeaway from that is one is always try to figure out how to compensate for whatever your disadvantage is. And two is don't look at it as a disadvantage. Just look at it as a, you know, a challenge that you have to overcome. And um, yeah, I mean, you know, socially it was interesting, very interesting. In fact, in some ways it was harder for me to navigate the social uh, strata than it was for me to navigate the trading because the trading was just price, just follow price. But right. socially, you know, it was the 80s. Do I need to tell you what the 80s were like? <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe you can go into it a, a little bit for a, for, for a minute or so just to give us context. <laughs> I'll tell you four words, sex, drugs, okay. and rock and roll. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. All right. That sums it up. <laughs> right, exactly. And so here I am, a young, impressionable girl on a floor where there were a lot of women clerks. And, but at the end of the day, man, like the champagne would flow. You went into mm. the bathroom and all you heard was. Uh -oh. <laughs> <laughs> On the trading floor. <laughs> oh man. Everybody was either high or, you know, whatever. It was incredible. And of course. On the trading floor. Oh yeah. These guys were major partiers. Unbelievable. I mean, there were girls that were paid. If you Get my gist, be down there. I know there. what you mean. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so now Assistance. I'm, like, I'm like, well, I want to kind of enjoy my life. I mean, I was a school teacher married. I, I, and the basketball, I was a very sheltered girl. And mm -hmm. now I'm in like the, the, you know, I've got the pulse of the world on my fingertips, you know, right there. I'm seeing every commodity trade. I'm in a company of 2,000 basically young men who are all making money and enjoying their lives. And, you know, at that age, you can kind of go 24 hours a day. So yes. am, I a par am I a party girl? How much <laughs> of a party girl? Or do I want to play it straight and be considered a stick in the mud? Mm. So I had to navigate that. And it was fun. It was fun. Oh, my God, it taught me so much. I, I mean, oh, I really learned sure. I learned so much about men and myself. Yes. Yes. So a couple, so there's a couple of points that I, I want to make in there and also ask you a question. So first for uh, some of the younger, some of the, the younger listeners that, that might've, um, this point might've went over your head. Now, what Ms. Schmidt, when she said that she had a disadvantage physically is because the times that the time period that she's talking about there, you know, it wasn't just entering an order, a buy or a sell on your computer and it goes off silently. So when, when you're on that trading floor, you're literally yelling out what you want to happen to someone who's going to pick up a phone and call it into the broker. And what she's talking about is that sometimes it will get physical when uh, something would get grossly overbought or grossly oversold because everyone is trying to get in on that, on that buy or sell order. And you have to be loud and sometimes push people out of the way. And there's legendary stories um, that, some of the, that, that many traders tell about. Uh, the, the, the pit, what they call the pit, uh, the trading pit just getting super, super rowdy. So that's, so that's what she meant when she said the, the physical disadvantage is a different world today. 
And uh, as far as you becoming a charting expert, I mean, I would love to know what the process of that was and how much did actually hand charting help you out in that process? Because, you know, in this digital age, hand charting is is an art that proved itself effective as far back as, you know, the the ancient Japanese rice farmers and the, the advent mm-hmm. of Japanese candlestick patterns. But today it's a it's an art that's mainly lost because we have some the advent of so many computers and indicators and whatnot. Yeah, I it, well. First of all, just from a learning aspect, you know, our muscle memory is our strongest memory. Mm. And so when you employ actually hand drawing, you employ a tactile or kinesthetic sense to learning, which is extremely powerful. And so there's that. I mean, and the whole thing, besides the fact that of hand drawing charts, you know, you really start to internalize price patterns and even though I don't do that anymore and you know, nobody does that anymore or needs to do that anymore, that somehow has stayed with me. I, when I look at the ticks, if I'm looking at a minute chart or whether I'm looking at a 30-minute chart, a daily chart, or a weekly chart, I still feel that as if I'm drawing it myself. Mm. But it, that's only one of the senses. You know, the unbelievable thing about being on the floor was you also in, employ your hearing because you can hear the, the momentum build you're seeing, obviously. And, you know, it was so interesting to see, like, what people's attempts were at a poker face, you know. <laughs> like, they were caught long in the markets dumping, and you could see how they were trying to be cool about it. But you knew if the whole pit, let's say, was long, and now all of a sudden selling started to come in, that panic, I could see it. And mm. then you could feel it. You know, so you could actually have a sixth sense in there. Again, something women are very good at. I could kind of see that moment when things were going to change. So all those senses and smell, which is not always the most pleasant thing on the floor, but when you're standing on the, in a pit with several hundred guys after lunch. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> big, big garlic sandwich. Oh, uh, man. <laughs> gas station sushi. Oh, whatever. Whatever. It didn't always stay in the body in the, in the heat of the battle. <laughs> <laughs> right, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, sometimes you, in, in a situation like that, you know, using the using the restroom or trying to be polite is, you know, it's it uh, has to take second precedent when you're operating under those set of circumstances. Absolutely. Not to mention the sweat and the, all of the other and the spit from screaming. I mean, it was it was interesting. It was a very interesting situation. But anyway, that doesn't exist anymore. But you know, I am one of the few of all the traders, men and women, who got to experience the floor experience. If you haven't seen Trading Places, by the way, it's probably the only movie I can think of that actually shows you what the floor looked like, actually was filmed on the floor where I worked. The the movie with Eddie Murphy, um, which was brilliant, brilliant movie, Trading Places. But anyway, moving on. So to today's world, those 13 years and that five cents or really six cents experience that I had hasn't left mm. me at all. Um, the only thing that I feel differently now is I miss community of people around me. I'm kind of like sitting and staring at the screens. So I have created community through social media. And that's yes. you know, also obviously what goes on these days is everybody is in community through their social media. Wow. That's... 
that, that's fascinating and you know that's that's the type of insight that we that we really as the next generation of, of traders to come you know we we really can't buy that it's it's something that we have to hear from someone like you you know that that there's a, a sixth sense to trading you know that that sounds mattered. I mean, feeling it with your kinesthetics matter. It's, it's, you know, that's, that, that's very valuable. And I, I know that I appreciate you sharing that with all of us. And I'm sure my listeners are just the same. Well, thank you. Yeah. And, you know, let's go back to the buy and hold thing here for a second, because, yes. um, you know, if you're just starting out, you know, statistically again, because I've done a lot of studying about this, mo the millennial generation, is not really passive investors. I mean, they have pretty much figured out to their credit that you, you, know, you go in and you go out, or in other words, you don't necessarily want to invest, you want to trade. And that's mm -hmm. a good thing. That doesn't mean that you have to be crazy day trader, but it does mean that you have to watch these phases. And when the phases change, you don't have to necessarily sit there and they don't necessarily sit there and going, things could come back. Because I think they have an inherent understanding that we're living in a potential bubble with everything I mentioned mm. in, the, in the very beginning, you know, uh, uh, artificially low rates, um, you know, a dollar that is at risk, uh, geopolitical tensions, you know, not, not to mention environmental tensions, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, so that's number one. So now the newest generation coming in trying to build a portfolio. First of all, there's a lot of um, micro minis that you can trade. So if you're going to trade the micro minis, you don't need as much money, which is a good thing. I mean, you could actually open up an account with just a thousand dollars because I think it's a $500 minimum to trade some of these micro minis. Mm -hmm. um, but you have to employ the same strategy and not say, ah, I don't need that money, whatever. You know, I, I don't right. care. I'm just going to, I'm just going to, you know, roll it on seven, put everything on seven. Um, yes. Yeah. It, it's not craps. It's not craps. So that's, that's the thing. So the thing is you build up your position slowly. You take your profits along the way. This is all the things that I teach. Yes. Knowing where to place your stop loss, starting by thinking not how much I'm going to make, but how much I'm willing to lose. Mm. Yes. And th that's what you all, I always start going, I'm willing to lose X amount of money on this trade. And then that's it. Once you've made that decision, you don't have an emotional attachment to that trade anymore. Yes. Ideally. <laughs> <laughs> That's why Second, you put stop losses, kids. <laughs> exactly. Second is position sizing. So, you know, we have a human tendency here. We are much better at failing than we are at succeeding. We're programmed to fail. It goes back to our beginning, beginning, beginning of time when we are into fight or flight that hasn't changed about human beings very much. So that's why you see your tendency is you buy something, it makes money. You go, Oh my God, Oh my God, I'm making money. This can't be true. And you get out and mm. just the avert reverse, right? You buy something, it starts going against you. you go, Oh, I'm not getting out because I know it's going to turn around. I just know it is. I just know it yes, is. Yes. Yes. And the pain, you, sit, you feel the pain, and then you go, oh, but the pain's going to get better. It's going to get better. I just know it. So those are the two things that have to shift is, A, if you're in pain, get out. If you've already gone past what you said your comfortable loss was because you're on hope, check yourself. And B, when you get it right, let it ride. Mm. That, those are the big lessons I learned on the floor. 
and some of the most difficult ones to learn, I, I might add also. So, so kudos to you for, for having the persistence to go through all the difficult times that I'm sure that you did before that, begot, before that became ingrained in your subconscious. Yeah, well, and I didn't start with any money. So, you know, I kind of had to learn how to take a controlled loss and let the winners ride just to build up. I started out actually borrowing $2,000 from a, a guy I knew on the floor. Um, no way. <laughs> yeah. So you want to talk about pressure. I was like, I'm, I have to pay this guy back and I don't have the money myself. So I better make the money. So and then, you know, one other little thing that I learned on the floor, which is interesting, which I'll share because I think it'll be appropriate to um, to your audience is when you got into when you know when you get into a little bit of a losing streak, which, by the way, this is, you know, there, there are streaks. That's just mathematics. You get, mm -hmm. you get into a long, good winning streak, and then all of a sudden you might have a couple of losers. You know, the more disciplined traders might step back and take a look at themselves, but some just will go into a losing streak, and it happens to everybody. Mm -hmm. They would say, go out. Mish, don't get depressed. Go out and buy something expensive for yourself. And I'd be mm. like, but that doesn't make any sense. No, no, it makes perfect sense because what it does is it lessens your grip to the attachment of money. Mm, wow, high level psychology. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when you read things like by Susie Orman, don't buy that latte because at the end of your life, you, you know, you would save $60,000. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> I just laughed at that because, you know, obviously you don't want to go crazy, but you definitely want to have a mentality of abundance if you're going to be an investor or a trader as opposed to scarcity, mm -hmm. but, but knowing that that still means that you have to have controls in place and a system in place. Yeah. Like you said, the, the navigation system is, is still, I mean, that that's part two after, after you get the idea. So it's, you know, it's paramount. Exactly. Exactly. Well, right on, Miss. This has been an awesome conversation. I know even even myself, I, I've taken away way more than than I thought that I would just playing host here. I feel like I've been enlightened so so much. And now hey, we come to the final question that I'll ask you. Um, what, in your opinion, would you say is the most important aspect for the retail trader to succeed amongst the big banks and institutions that control so much of the capital flow? Well, for one is actually, um, I'd say follow the smart money. You know, that, that, you know uh, this is one of the, the dilemmas that have gone on in the market right now is the corporations have gotten much richer. I believe that the people that are within the bureaucracy, the current bureaucracy, have gotten nods about some of the market manipulation. You know, people say the market is rigged. Yeah, so what? Mm -hmm. Trade in the direction of how it's rigged until you see it change. So I would say that rather than think of yourself as a little small minnow in this big sea, figure out how you can make sure you're swimming in the same size as the big fish. Mm -hmm. um, and, the, you know, and pay attention because when the big fish get out, which they do, you know, institutional selling has been going on already. Look at somebody like Warren Buffett. I mean, you know, compared to your audience, he's, you know, a dinosaur. He's 92 or three or something like that. Oh, wow. But he's got the most cash that he's ever had right, right. now. 
He's right. very underinvested because he sees this stuff. He's been around long enough to know. So even though the corporations have been buying back and buying back and buying back and buying back their stock, and that would have been a good trend to follow, all it takes is something like what we're seeing right now, which is the coronavirus. Mm. And if those corporations stop buying back and then try to sell, there could be a vacuum to the downside. So I guess the bigger point is this. Follow the smart money, but watch that navigation system for the warning signs and then realize that those warning signs are also being looked at by the smart money and just get the hell out or go short if that's something you know how to do. Yes. Or yes. Buy, some, buy something that's going counter to the market. And that's where the phases and the book really shows you is what I call, a chapter I call really one man's trash is another man's treasure. Oh, beautiful. Wow. What, what, a, what a beautiful answer to that question. Um, and rolling right into the book, where can our listeners find Plant Your Money Tree, A Guide to Guiding Your Wealth? And where else can my listeners connect to you so if they want to learn more about what is it that you do and, and you know, maybe speak to you one on one? Okay, well, first of all, the book is really available everywhere from Amazon to Target, uh, Walmart, Barnes and Noble. Um, so you can you really wouldn't have trouble finding the book. However, I will say that if you bought the book from our website, which is marketgauge.com, we actually offer uh, a bonus, a free bonus um, worth about $95, which is essentially a video that you get of me explaining the phases. So um, that would be not a bad place to go is just go to our website. And the first thing you see when you go to our website is the banner of me standing there with a copy of the book. Okay. So that's, yeah. Number two is in terms of getting in touch with me, um, I am very active when I said that I now connect with people through social media. Twitter is probably the number one place where I connect. And yes. my handle is at Market Minute. Um, mm -hmm. I am very, very responsive to people when they ask me questions. I give them full answers. Um, I really, my, my goal on Twitter is to, is, is really to help and, uh, and, and to do it with compassion. Um, because, you know, a lot of people come at you because they're scared. And so I don't take it personally. I, I rise above that and say, okay, what is this person afraid of? And I try to answer with a strategy, you know, and love essentially. Um, I'm also though on, on, uh, Facebook, I have a Mish's Market Minute Daily site, Market Gauge site, and also LinkedIn, which is, would just be under my name. And I'm on Instagram as Mish Schneider, M-I-S-H Schneider. So if you Google my name, you'll find me. If you want to <laughs> email, if you, uh, want to email me, I will be happy to answer your email. If, especially if you say, I, I listen, I heard you on Hilton's show. Um, and that's mish at marketgauge.com. Well, perfect. Right on. And we will post the, the links to everything that you, all the social media that you just said, including the link to go and find the book, marketgauge.com and the free bonus video. Well, mish, it's been a serious pleasure having you on here. Um, I, I, I know that everything that I took away, my listeners will take away and hopefully even more. And hey, who knows? Maybe down the line, we'll, we'll be lucky enough to have you back. Great. I just wanted to say one other thing is the July 12th and 13th, I'm going to be in Philly at the Modern Traders Summit. 
Um, and so that would be an opportunity not only to um, learn, but also to hang out. Uh, we'll be there for a couple of days. Modern Traders Summit, if you do that, um, search.com, um, you can see uh, more information about that. Beautiful. So everyone in the tri-state area, try to get down there uh, early July or if you have some, some extra, um, I don't know, flight bonus points or something like that, go ahead, enjoy a beautiful city, get some great knowledge from a true market tactician. Uh, Thank you so much, Mish. Uh, I look, look forward to having you back on here again. Can't wait. Thank you so much. I hope you have a, a wonderful time in uh, India. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> All righty. Have a good one.